One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here Winning we episode three. Yeah. Oh, podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 17th, 2021, people. We have a loaded show for you today. So much to get into. We will obviously start with the NCAA tournament stuff. I don't think that I am going to give my official picks until Thursday's episode, but we will do some NCAA tournament stuff today. There was actually some interesting positive COVID news, if you can believe it or not, that came out of Indianapolis in the NCAA tournament. We'll talk about that. Sister Jean back in the news. You know that woman loves the camera. Nobody loves the camera like Sister Jean. And we'll talk a little bit about the bracket. Again, my official picks will come Thursday, but we'll do some upset stuff, all kinds of just little things about the bracket and things that I've noticed that I do want to discuss with you. From there, we will do a meaty, 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 meaty coaching carousel segment I go long on Indiana. Archie Miller, as I told you two weeks ago, he was going to be out. Everybody else in the media, oh, there's no way they're going to pay a $10 million buyout. Listen to your boy Torres. I told you two weeks ago he wasn't coming back. He is out. We will go in-depth on the candidates at Indiana. Can they get a Scott Drew? Can they get a Chris Beard? Uh, Eric Musselman's name seems to be popping up a lot. We'll talk about all those guys, talk about some of the other jobs that are open, and we will wrap with a segment actually on a team not in the NCAA tournament, Kentucky basketball. Listen, I said it last episode, I do want to talk a little bit about Kentucky because I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this is the most important offseason of the John Calipari era, and to me, it is so, so, so important. There is so much to get into. We're starting to figure out who's coming back, who's not coming back, and I just want to get into what went wrong, what needs to be fixed so that never happens again, and maybe I'm crazy, but I do still trust in Calipari, believe that he will get things turned around and get that program back towards the top of college basketball next season. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're listening on the KSR feed, make sure to come on over, hit subscribe, listen to this show. We talk college sports 365 days a year. And as I said, make sure you're at the very least subscribed because Thursday we're going to give out our picks. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Of course, if you're not following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Like I said, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. And most importantly, before we get started, make sure you're signed up for the Aaron Torres Pod uh, Bracket Challenge. We have a bracket challenge going. It is going to be a ton of fun. Here are the prizes. Two Buffalo Wild Wings $250 gift cards to the top two performers in the bracket challenge. And on top of that, even if you don't win, if you just sign up, 
Use promo code Torres at sign up. You will automatically be entered to win a $1,000 cash prize at Bracket Fanatics. Uh, if you go to my Twitter page, the Bracket Challenge is posted there. So make sure that you sign up for the Aaron Torres Bracket Challenge. And with that said, people, no more time to waste. Let's get into the meat of the show. And as I record here, it is late Tuesday. NCAA tournament tips off in about 48 hours. For the millionth time, I will give my official picks on Thursday's show. But on today's show, I just kind of want to wrap up some odds and ends. And I did think there were some interesting things that came out of Indianapolis on Tuesday. All Basically, all 68 teams are in Indianapolis. The only team that is not there is Virginia. They will be traveling in late as they deal with some sort of loose COVID issues. They want to get right. They probably won't come in till Friday for their Saturday games, believe it or not. So 67 of the 68 teams are in. And of course, the number one topic outside of filling out a bracket is what is going on with COVID? We saw Duke, Kansas, Virginia get booted out of their conference tournaments. And I got asked dozens of times last week that people asked me, what will happen if we get a positive at the NCAA tournament? Are we going to cancel teams? Are teams going to get thrown out? Are we going to cancel games? What is going to happen? And what I told you was, I said, the way the NCAA has set things up, we should be okay. Because the protocols that the ACC uses, the protocols that the Big East uses, the protocols that the Big Ten uses are different than what the NCAA will use there. And the NCAA has really set up about as safe of a controlled environment as you can possibly have. As I told you recently, the way that teams are traveling, they are now taking multiple buses to the airport, the way that they're spaced out on a plane, it's a charter jet, everyone is six feet apart, you get off the plane, two separate buses provided by the NCAA, hotel rooms, every player gets their own hotel room, and this is not just um, the Big East schools and the Big Ten schools in Ohio State and Texas and all the schools with money, I talked to Mount St. Mary's coach, about as small as it gets, Dan Engelstad, he'll be on the podcast tomorrow. Mount St. Mary's, the smallest school with one of the smallest budgets in college basketball, got two buses. Everybody gets their own hotel room. And so the idea is that will all but eliminate contact tracing at the NCAA tournament, which will allow teams to play. Why do I bring it up? Why is it important? Well, it's because our buddy, Josh Pastner, the shield, as I like to call him, uh, as Jimmy Dykes said, he looks like your dentist or a welder with that shield on. But Josh Pastner gave us some kind of interesting news. He had a press conference at the NCAA tournament this on, on Tuesday afternoon, and he admitted that someone in Georgia Tech's travel party tested positive for COVID. And I thought this was going to be a huge story, and everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Everybody's going to freak out. And it wasn't that big of a story, and I actually took it as an incredibly positive sign. You know why? Because the reaction, one of the public was not immediately, well, you got to get Georgia Tech out of the tournament, but also... Guess what? Josh Pastner said just because there is a positive test, it does not mean that Georgia Tech has to be removed from the NCAA tournament. And so while I would never wish COVID on anybody, I, I wish nobody got sick, I wish everybody was healthy and they could live forever, the reality is this is a virus, people are going to test positive, and I thought it was actually a great sign for this NCAA tournament that this positive test came in and that, that, that Georgia Tech is still going to be able to play in this tournament. Doesn't mean we're going to get uh, uh, no issues at all. Doesn't mean that a player can't potentially miss this thing or bad things could happen to two, three guys on a team. 
But what it said to me is that the protocols were working. What it said to me was that Georgia Tech had a positive test in their travel party and everybody else is safe to play. Everybody else is okay to step on the floor for Georgia Tech and play. And what it says to me, the process is working. What it says to me is that the way the NCAA has set up travel, the way they've set up food, the way that they've set up buses, the way that they've set up lodging, the way that the fact that, by the way, when teams get to Indianapolis, they had to quarantine for 12 hours, test when you get in, wait for the test results for 12 hours, get to the next test in the morning, and then you can move on to, to round two of whatever that is. You can start to get together, things like that. But I bring it all up because what it says to me is that this is working. To show you how extreme things are in Indianapolis, I was talking to John Rothstein on Monday, obviously CBS College Basketball Insider. He is in Indy, and you know what he told me? He goes, dude, I can only go two places. I can go from my hotel room to the convention center, which is where the the big setup is, and I can go from my hotel to a game venue, and that is it. I cannot go anywhere else. I cannot go off campus. I cannot go outside of the hotel. I cannot see people outside of the hotel. There is a steak and shake. I can see the steak and shake from my window, and I am not allowed to go there. Um, People outside of the hotel that are not part of this are not allowed in. Every single uh, meal is prepackaged and wiped down and all that stuff. And what that says to me is that I think we're going to be okay. You can never say with 100% certainty what is going to happen, what isn't going to happen, but I thought that headline to me was an incredibly positive thing. Georgia Tech had a positive. It doesn't mean they're out of the tournament. It doesn't mean there's contact tracing. It doesn't mean that 10 other people are going to be out and Georgia Tech's going to be playing with five people. And what it says to me is that I think this tournament's going to be okay. I think that we are actually going to be able to get this thing off again. Not to say that we might not have a positive here or there. Not to say that a marquee player for a marquee team might have to miss a game or two or potentially the tournament. I'm praying that it doesn't happen. But what I am saying is I don't think entire teams are going to get eliminated from the tournament. By the way, if you needed further proof, never forget Louisville, Colorado State were both part of the, they were the two top two teams where if somebody had to pull out of the tournament, they were the first ones to go. Louisville officially got word on Tuesday night they would not be going to the NCAA tournament, which means that all 68 teams are still scheduled to play. By the way, if you want a sign that the world is getting back to normal and that the NCAA really has things under control in Indianapolis, you know what that sign might be? Our old buddy sister Jean. Haven't heard from her in a while. Well, we got news on Tuesday Guess who's going to be at the NCAA tournament? Our buddy, Sister Jean. Now, if you're new to the podcast, 2018, that was right around when I launched this podcast. It was the year of Trey Young, and it was the year of whoever. Eric Musselman was at Nevada. I remember talking about him a lot that year. But we talked a lot about Sister Jean because the woman was everywhere. The woman has more airtime in March than Oprah does, okay? She has more airtime than Jim Nance and Bill Raftery do. And so we got the news on Tuesday that Sister Jean is planning on going to the NCAA tournament. And if that doesn't say to me, and you know me, I've always been positive about this virus. I've always tried to look at both sides. I've always tried to be fair. If that does not say to you, the world is getting back to normal. People are ready to live their lives. I don't know what does. Because if we're putting an old 100-year-old, 101-year-old woman in a car or a bus and bringing her from Chicago to Indianapolis, I mean, 
What else is there to say? And by the way, she did get her vaccination. That was reported by the Chicago Sun-Times. But what I am telling you definitively is that is a great sign. It is a great sign that the virus, it's coming full circle. The people that need vaccinations are getting them and that the world is getting back to normal. I think this is, I, I said it a few weeks ago, I think the NCAA tournament is the last major sporting event outside of maybe the Masters, which of course is right after the NCAA tournament that doesn't look back to normal. I saw UFC is planning on having a fight with 100% capacity uh, in Florida at some point. The Texas Rangers are having 100% capacity. Jerry Jones is having 100% capacity at Cowboys games. So I thought this was an incredibly positive sign because if Sister Jean is getting in a car and going to Indy, it means the world is getting back to normal. Now, of course, the negative flip side is that we got to deal again with Sister Jean. I saw she had a press conference. Why this woman needs a press conference, I don't know. Uh, good thing is, not to spoil Thursday's show, I have Sister Jean losing to the Shield and Josh passing in round one, so hopefully she'll be out of there pretty quick. Speaking of which, I did want to just talk about a couple things that I've noticed from the bracket. And look, this is the time that we're going to start filling some stuff out. And I'm going to talk about game by game again. I'm going to make my official picks on Thursday's episode. But you guys are starting to fill, fill, fill out your brackets and you're starting to do your thing. And by the way, I mentioned it, but make sure that you go to the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge. First prize is a $250 gift card from Buffalo Wild Wings. Second prize is a $250 gift card from Buffalo Wild Wings. Use promo code Torres to sign up. You're automatically entered to win a $1,000 cash prize. Um... But I just want to talk about a couple of things that I've seen and, and specifically the upset stuff, right? Because, you know, this is the time of year where everybody kind of wants to know about upsets and who's going to beat who and what's going to happen where and all that stuff. So let me give you a couple upsets um, that I think are potentially going to happen in round one. And I'll make my official picks on Thursday. In case you can't get to Thursday's episode, here's a few upsets that I potentially like. The first one, Oregon State is playing Tennessee in a 5-12 game. And what I would say, if you've listened to this show throughout the season, what I can definitively tell you, we have been waiting. I think we've been looking for Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster as long as we've been waiting for Tennessee to turn the corner this season. OJ has been looking for the real killers for as long as we've been waiting for Tennessee to turn the corner, and we haven't figured out any of them. And everybody says, oh, Tennessee, they, they beat Florida in the regular season. They beat Florida in the postseason. They're going to flip the turn. They're going to turn the corner. They're going to make the NCAA tournament. They're going to make a run. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think they're just one of those teams that is really talented, but they have never figured it out all season long. I think some of the freshmen, very talented. I think Rick Barnes, and I love Rick Barnes, but I think he waited a little bit too long to let those guys loose. I'll be honest, I think some of them might be a little bit checked out, ready for the NBA. And I look at this matchup as a potential upset. Uh, Oregon is a team, or Oregon State, excuse me, is a team that is obviously red hot coming into this thing. Um, you know, they beat three... NCAA tournament teams on the way to the Pac-12 championship. That's the thing about Oregon's Oregon State's championship, kind of same with Georgetown, which we will talk about in a minute. It's not like Oregon State had some weird draw that got them the Pac-12 championship. They were the five seed. They had to go through the four seed in, or, in UCLA, who's in the NCAA tournament. They had to go through the one seed in uh, Oregon to get to the NCAA tournament. And they had to go through the two seed to win the Pac-12 championship. And so it's not as though some fluky, weird thing happened. They went through the four seed, the one seed, and the two seed at the Pac-12 championship to win the Pac-12 title. And so I believe that when I look at them, they have a combination of defensive toughness, physicality that I think is going to give Tennessee fits. 
and they're not great and they're not perfect, but they are tough. Jared Lucas is a good three-point shooter. That is one upset to keep an eye on. I do like Oregon State potentially over Tennessee in that 5-12. Speaking of 5-12, something that jumped out as soon as that bracket came out was Georgetown against Colorado. I know some people think that, you know, Georgetown is going to be happy to be there and, you know, looking ahead or not looking ahead, but looking in the past and just, I don't see it. Patrick Ewing, the first thing he said in that post-game press conference was like, we're on to the next step. We celebrate this tonight and we move on to the next thing. And when I look at Georgetown, as crazy as it sounds, I think they're a lot like Colorado. They're just better. Now, Colorado has a better point guard. McKinley Wright is a stud. But George, but but what Colorado does, they're just the most physical team in the big in the Pac-12, and they just out tough you, out physical you, out muscle you. Well, here's the thing: that's what Georgetown does, only with bigger guys and better athletes, and they're just better at Colorado's game than Colorado is. So unless McKinley Wright goes off, I think Georgetown's winning this game. By the way, Georgetown just beat Creighton, who has a really good point guard. So I don't think they're going to be intimidated by Colorado having a really good point guard. I like Georgetown to pull off the 5-12 upset. Speaking of Creighton, I think it's at least worth keeping an eye on, maybe as a bet against uh, UC Santa Barbara. UC Santa Barbara, I've told you a few times, high major talent. Their starting point guard began his career at Oregon State. Their starting power forward began his career at Oregon. Amadou Sao, their best player, was a top 100 or so recruit. They got real talent at, um, at UC Santa Barbara. And Creighton has just been so up and down all year. It would not shock me if UC Santa Barbara pulled the upset. Uh, finally, in round one, this is one I feel good about. And it jumped out to me as soon as we uh, got the bracket. It's Texas Tech over Utah State. And what stands out to me about Texas Tech is this. I think we have this image in our head of Chris Beard. And I'm going to talk about Chris Beard in a minute as it comes to the Indiana job. But with Chris Beard, I think we have this image in our head of like, great coach, always figures it out, blah, 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 whatever. And he is a great coach. But they were 17-10 and 10 this year, and if you look at their out-of-conference resume, it was actually pretty underwhelming. They beat Sam Houston State, they beat Northwestern State, they beat Grambling State, none of which are states, by the way. They beat Troy, they beat Abilene Christian, who actually at the very least made the NCAA tournament, they beat Texas Corpus Christi. I'm bringing this up to say, they're 17-10 and 10, propped up by a really bad out-of-conference schedule. You give Kentucky the same out-of-conference schedule that Texas Tech had, Kentucky's probably in the NCAA tournament right now, or at the very least, on the bubble. Maybe they're one of the first few teams out with Louisville. Texas Tech, solid, decent. There's nothing great about them. They don't score very easily. Outside of Mac McClung, they really don't have any scoring. And the one thing that Utah State does really well, so Texas Tech, kind of what I was just saying with with Colorado-Georgetown, Texas Tech... If you, if you can deal with their toughness, you can beat them. Here's the thing. Utah State is about as tough as it comes in this NCAA tournament. Here's a fun fact for you. Use it at the water cooler tomorrow. Know who's number one in college basketball in rebounding margin? North Carolina, who's awesome. Know who's number two? Utah State. They're tough. They're physical. They are going to give Texas Tech everything they can handle. I like Utah State to pull off the upset. Still chewing on Syracuse, uh, uh, Syracuse, San Diego State. I think that one could go either way. I worry about San Diego State, not super gifted offensively. I think they could struggle with the zone. And I would also say keep in mind for round two, um, I think if USC gets Kansas, I think USC is pulling off that upset as a sixth seed. Kansas is just not a very good shooting team. USC, as crazy as it sounds, will probably have the best rim protection and big guys that Kansas has faced all year. Evan Mobley is going to be a top three pick. 
Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, Pac-12 Player of the Year, Isaiah Mobley. They're big and tough and athletic down low, and I think they're going to give Kansas fits. So I think that's it for the um, the bracket portion of this Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And like I said, we got to, we got to get to the coaching carousel stuff. We got to get to the Kentucky stuff. So stick around. If you want all bracket stuff, come back for Thursday's episode because we are going to break down the bracket, and I will give you every single pick for every single game, including my national champion. Um, but that's all for the bracket now, and I do want to get to the coaching carousel stuff. But before I get to the coaching carousel stuff, I want to welcome back a great sponsor, PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. You can find the who, how, and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free at PicksWise.com. Throughout March, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily picks and analysis from the likes of John Rothstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for a winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize. Make your next bet better with PicksWise. All right, let's get into the coaching carousel stuff. And look, we all know what the big news was was at Indiana, where after four years, Archie Miller was fired as the head coach at Indiana University. And look, I hate to tell you guys this, but I said it was going to happen. The, everybody else in the media, oh, there's no way you can fire somebody with a $10 million buyout in a pandemic. And I said, look at college football. I cover college football. Gus Malzahn, 10 plus, or $20 plus million buyout, excuse me, out at Auburn. Tom Herman, $20 plus million buyout out at Texas. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Will Muschamp, $15 million buyout, give or take a million or two out at South Carolina. If you don't deliver in college sports in 2021, they will find the money to get rid of you, and that is what happened at Indiana. We found out after the fact, by the way, one booster by himself was willing to pay the $10 million to get out Archie Miller. And listen, I don't want to spend too much time on the Archie Miller stuff. I've talked about it in past weeks. I like Arch. He was on the podcast one time. I enjoyed talking with him. But listen, it's Indiana. It's year four. You have all your guys. And this was the year you were supposed to make a dent. You were supposed to make a tournament run. Um, and I think they could have. I will give Archie Miller credit. His team played hard down the stretch. They, they, they defended well. They competed but they just weren't good enough offensively. They went through crazy offensive stretches where they couldn't get a basket. It cost them a bunch of games late in the season. Because of it, Indiana didn't make the tournament, and now Archie Miller, unfortunately, is unemployed. So with that said, uh, let's go ahead and look at who I actually think the Indiana should call, who I think they will call, and who I do think that they won't call. And before we get into it, I should say, listen, I might be on an island on this one. I still think Indiana is a really good job. First of all, whoever takes this job will inherit a pretty decent roster. Now, obviously, some guys will probably enter the portal over the next couple days. But look, there's a very good chance that Rob Finnessy is back. There's a very good chance that Christian Lander is back. There's a very good chance that Race Thompson is back. So even if a few guys enter the portal, even if Trace Jackson Davis goes pro, you still have a nice base of guys to work with if you can get the next guy in place. And beyond that, uh, Archie Miller proved that Indiana kids will still come to Indiana if you have the right recruiting pitch. So I do think this is a good job, and I do think there are some guys that might be willing to take it. So this is what I want to do. I want to give you the four guys 
guys that I believe Indiana should at the very least call that I do believe will take it. Three names you could cross off the list right away, by the way. Brad Stevens, listen, pipe dream, I get it. He ain't coming to Indiana. He doesn't want to coach in college basketball, at least not right now, and at least right now he still has options. Things aren't going well with the Celtics, but he ain't going to get fired tomorrow. You're not going to wait till the end of the NBA season, which goes into May now, to go get Brad Stevens. And on top of that, even if he were let go with Boston, and I don't think he will be, uh, guess what? Uh, he's going to have other uh, jobs in the NBA, options in the NBA because of it. I don't think Brad Stevens is a realistic candidate. I don't think Rick Pitino is a realistic candidate. I saw that a lot on Twitter on on Monday. Listen, I, I think Indiana holds itself to a certain standard. I don't believe that that is a guy that they would want. And on top of that, Rick Pitino does have a $10 million buyout at Iona. So good luck paying $10, $10 million to Iona, $10 million to Archie Miller just for the right to negotiate with Rick Pitino. I do think he'll be back at the Power 5, Power 6 level eventually. I don't think it'll be this soon, and I don't think it'll be this job. And then finally, the other guy you can cross off the list, Nate Oates. Listen, I love Nate Oates. I think he's a stud, uh, but kind of like Rick Pitino. $12 $12 million buyout for Nate Oates. So you're talking about $10 million to Archie Miller, $12 million to Alabama for the right to talk to Nate Oates, and we're talking about $22 million before you pay Nate Oates a dollar or his staff. Nate Oates, he's not going to be at Alabama forever, but he ain't leaving Alabama this offseason. So with that, let's get to the four guys that I believe Indiana should call, and at least in theory, they have a chance of possibly, possibly, possibly getting a yes. The first one, and this is the least likely of them all, it is Chris Beard. And you call Chris Beard because he is a stud. This is kind of an incredible stat that I don't think people realize. Had there been an NCAA tournament last year, Texas Tech would have made it. If they had made it this year, which they obviously just did, Selection Sunday was yesterday, Chris Beard just became the would have become the first head coach in Texas Tech history to take Texas Tech to four straight NCAA tournaments. He does that within the first five years uh, at the school. It's kind of incredible. He's still only been a head coach at the D1 level for six seasons total now, five at Texas Tech, one at Little Rock. And it goes without saying, you know why Indiana would call him. The guy made an Elite Eight in 2018, made the Final Four, was a play or two away from winning a national championship in 2019, and there are very loose ties to Indiana. Remember, he is a Bob Knight disciple. He was an assistant coach for years under Bob Knight at Texas Tech, and I do think you have to at least give him a call. And here is the reason why he might say yes, because a lot of you are probably thinking, dude, you just told us Nate Oates is saying no. Why would Chris Beard say yes? Well, one, I think you give him a call because you just have to see, is he interested at some point in coaching at a basketball-only school? Texas Tech, if we're being perfectly honest, if we have a Tech fan listening, I hate to tell you, you're probably at best the third best job just in the state of Texas. Forget the Big 12, forget the nation, forget the fact that it will always be a football school. And the major difference with Alabama and Nate Oates, Chris Beard has a much more manageable buyout. I looked this up on Monday, and it appears as though he only has a $3 million buyout if a non-Big 12 school wants to hire him. Why does that matter? Texas, Te- or Texas excuse me, is Chris Beard. Chris Beard is an, alma- is an alum of Texas, University of Texas. There was the belief that Shaka Smart was going to get fired offseason. So they put that clause in his contract, $6 million for a Big 12 school, but anybody else, it's only $3 million. So for a quarter of the price that you'd have to pay to get Nate Oates out of his contract, you can get Chris Beard. And I do think you have to at the very least call him. 
I don't think he'll say yes. I don't think now is the right time. I kind of believe in my very loose interactions with Chris Beard. He's happy at Texas Tech. They love him there. He's an icon. He's doing things in basketball that have never been done. He has the support of his AD. There's new facilities. There's money coming in. The alums love him. I don't think you're getting a yes, but I don't blame you for at the very least trying to call. Number two, also pop probably a pipe dream, but I'd give Scott Drew a call. Scott Drew is, of course, doing stuff that I don't think any of us thought was possible at Baylor. They're, of course, the number one team in the country, or number two team in the country going into the NCAA tournament, number one seed, Big 12 champ, first time in 50 years. And so you're probably sitting there saying, dude, Torres, what are you talking about? Uh, 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 Scott Drew? Indiana? Are you kidding me? Why would he leave Baylor? Well, there's a couple reasons. I just mentioned that Baylor is the number one seed in this NCAA tournament. I get that. But let me say this. I think it's fair to ask, is this as good as it will ever get for Scott Drew at Baylor? Keep in mind, this was a program that three years ago, not not this season, not last season, the season before, they were a nine seed in the NCAA tournament. This isn't a 10-year run at Baylor, the likes of which we've never seen. Now, they've been a very good program. He has elevated them. But let's not act like Scott Drew is on some insane run that has been going on for a decade. Now, they've been really good. They haven't been great until the last probably uh, two or so years. When you look at it from that perspective, you also have to wonder, is this sustainable? Two guys in their starting lineup, uh, Mark Vidal and Macy Oteager seniors. Two more, Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler, projected to be first-round NBA draft picks. Because of it, I don't want to say you're going to have to start completely new next year because you will have some guys back, but we're talking about probably fringe top 25 team, maybe a top 20 team, but you're always going to be competing at the top of the league with Kansas. You're always going to be competing at the top of the league with Texas, and I think it's worth at least questioning is this as good as it gets? In my absolute best year and in a Kansas downturn, we're still just like a hair ahead of them and Kansas still beat us this year in the regular season. So that is a thought number one on why Scott Drew might leave. This just might be as good as it gets. Number two, and this is the important part obviously, Scott Drew is of course from Indiana. Played it at uh, Butler, coached at Valpo. His dad coached at Valpo. He grew up in Valparaiso, Indiana. And maybe the ties to home are real. Now, I will say in general, I do think that the the whole, um, oh, you got to go home, got to go home. I think that stuff is overrated when you have a good job. Like, I think the whole going home stuff works and sells and really guys buy into it when they don't have any other options or they don't have better options, right? Jim Harbaugh went home to Michigan after he was fired from the San Francisco 49ers. Never forget he turned down Michigan to go to the 49ers four years before. On the flip side, you look at somebody like Urban Meyer. Could have gone to Florida, could have gone to Notre Dame. Everyone says, oh, Notre Dame, he coached there, it's his dream job. And he was like, you know what? A lot easier to win in Florida, I'm going to Florida. So I don't know that I buy the whole, you gotta go home, gotta go home stuff with Scott Drew. But hey, give him a call, offer him a lot of money, and see if he's interested. Maybe he is interested in leaving, maybe he's not, but I don't blame them for at least giving a call. Number three, and this is the most interesting one, is obviously Eric Musselman at Arkansas, and that is a name that has picked up a ton of steam over the last couple weeks, 
And what I'll say is this, is like, look, obviously everybody knows I have had Eric Musselman on this podcast a million times, but I have never talked to him about other jobs. I never would. Uh, That's just not the way that I operate in this business. I respect people's privacy. I would never, ever, ever not only not ask Eric Musselman, but not ask any of these guys about jobs, opportunities, what they would take, what they wouldn't. And so with Eric Musselman, I really don't know what kind of job would get him away from Arkansas. Uh, He has an NBA background. Does he someday want to get back to the NBA? Would he be interested in another college job? Would he leave uh, Arkansas at all for another college job, or is he content being at Arkansas? And those are the questions that Indiana has to ask, and that's why you hire a search firm, and that's why they do their due diligence to do the homework so you know if this is a guy that is actually interested in taking this job. Now, from Indiana's perspective, it makes sense why you would hire him. This guy has been a stud at the college level everywhere he goes. He immediately flips over rosters. He immediately has success. He went to Nevada and in year one won 21 games. By year two, made the NCAA tournament. Year three and four also made the NCAA tournament. So now you're talking about a guy that in in three years has completely flipped the Nevada program. Final three years at the school. 28 wins, 29 wins, 29 wins, then goes to Arkansas, deals with all sorts of injuries in year one, goes 20 and 12, then this year obviously explodes 22 and 6, and the guy immediately has success. I've raved about him, I've talked about him on this podcast, um, you know, the guy is really good at what he does, and like, like I, the reason I rave about him is because he's really good. I mean, you can criticize me for a lot of things. I don't give guys credit that don't deserve credit. I'm not like, uh, you know what, I'm not going to say it, but there was a very prominent uh, media member praising Tom Crean during the entire SEC tournament. It made me smack my head. Tom Crean is terrible. At least if I'm going to praise you like a Nate Oates, like an Eric Musselman, like a, frankly, John Calipari before this year, at least it's warranted. Um, with Muss, though, I think there are some real things that could keep him at Arkansas. One... And again, I have no insight into what his interest is. Frankly, I have no insight into what Scott Drew's interest would be or Chris Beard's interest would be. But with Muss, you know, I, I, I'll tell you straight up, there are a couple things that I think are working in Arkansas's favor. One, first of all, does he want to leave now? I mean, you are just now starting to build this thing. You're having the most success you've had in this program in 25-plus years since Corliss Williamson, since Corey Beck, since Nolan Richardson. And I think it's fair to ask, like, like the best still feels like it is ahead at Arkansas. Yes, you're going to lose Moses Moody after this year. Yes, a bunch of guys will probably uh, graduate as seniors and move on. But Devo Davis, Jalen Williams, a lot of these young guys are going to be back. Connor Vanover is projected to be back, Desi Sills. So you have a nice base in play to continue to build on this. And guess what? Transfers are drooling at the opportunity to go play for Eric Musselman after this year, after they see the success that all these guys had. The second reason that I just don't know that Eric Musselman would want to leave uh, Arkansas, I don't really know what Indiana can offer that Arkansas can't. Yes, Indiana has prestige and a few more banners in the building, a couple more national championship banners, but I'll be honest, I don't know that how much coaches really care about that. I don't know how much it matters to coaches in terms of, uh, you know, this team won a bunch back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Well, it's 2021. Players don't care. Players care about what's happening now, and I'm telling you right now, I don't think it's a secret. Arkansas is a significantly hotter brand, as I record here on March 15th, March 16th, than Indiana is right now. And from a money perspective, from a facilities perspective, there is nothing that Indiana can offer Eric Musselman that Arkansas can't actually offer them as well. We all know the reason Eric Musselman went to Arkansas, there were things that 
Arkansas could do that Nevada couldn't from a financial standpoint, from a facility standpoint, etc. There is nothing, I'm telling you, nothing Indiana can offer Eric Musselman financially that Arkansas couldn't. And the third reason, I think this is an important one, the SEC is a lot easier to win than the Big Ten. And this stuff matters to coaches. Now, some guys just want the challenge, and I'm not saying Eric Musselman doesn't want the challenge. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying, though, is that when I look at the situation at Indiana, um, it's just really hard to win in the, the Big Ten right now. Um, you know, it's first of all, you play 20 league games. You have the commitment of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You have the commitment of the Gavit Games, which is the Big East crossover. So you're playing essentially 22, 23, 24 power conference games before the season even starts. They're already scheduled for you. On top of that, the league's never been better. You want to go into that league right now and bang your head against the wall against Jawan Howard, who's a stud and he ain't going anywhere at Michigan. Brad Underwood, who's a stud and he ain't going anywhere at Illinois. Chris Holtman ain't going anywhere. Uh, even the programs that are kind of in the middle. Uh, Maryland makes a tournament every year. You criticize Mark Turgeon for a lot. They make a lot of NCAA tournaments. Wisconsin, have they been great under Greg Gard? No, but they make the tournament every year. Iowa, Fran McCaffrey, there are a lot of good programs. And so to me, if I was Eric Musselman, and I have not spoken to him about this, and I will not speak to him about it, he's got an NCAA tournament to get ready for, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't go to the Big Ten right now. The Big Ten's a bloodbath. I think Archie Miller in a different world, a different universe previous years, he could have won enough to to keep that Indiana job because the Big Ten was down. But now you look at it and everybody's good. Everybody has money. Everybody spends. Everybody pays their coaches well. Everybody pays their assistants well. The SEC pays very well for head coaches, assistant coaches, facilities, etc. But look at the bottom of that league. Vandy, South Carolina, uh, Texas A&M this year, uh, whoever. There's a lot of winnable games in the SEC. That is why I would stay if I was Eric Musselman. We'll see what happens. Finally, I'll wrap with the fourth guy and the guy that I think you should go higher, and that's John Beeline. And it's crazy because I brought this up probably about, what, two weeks ago? You know, people that listen to the podcast, you guys know what it was. It was two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. I got a lot of pushback from Indiana fans. Oh, he's too old. Oh, he's 67. He's too old. We can't have him. Um, who cares? Your team stinks. Your program stinks. Your program has made one Elite Eight since 1993, one Final Four since 1993. I don't care if this guy is now 68 years old. Why do I care? Jim Beheim is 74. Get him in for four, five, six years. Let him build up the program. First of all, forget build up the program. Keep in mind, I told you earlier, there is talent in this Indiana program. If John Beeline took over this same roster, just minus Trace Jackson Davis with everybody else that's projected to come back, I think they're an NCAA tournament team next year with John Beeline. Get one shooter out of the transfer portal, shoot 34% from three instead of 30% from three, you're an NCAA tournament team. So that's one. Two, I don't care about his age because guess what? Even if you only get John Beeline for six years, Jim Beheim 74, you can get John Beeline for six years. Guess what? He goes to four NCAA tournaments in six years, and I think he could go to even more? How about this? That job is going to be a lot better in six years than it is now. Now, there are some things that would keep uh, potentially Indiana from making the move. One is the age. Two, I just don't know if John Beeline wants to coach again. I mean, never forget this is a guy that started as a high school coach back in the day, went to junior college, low major, mid-major, high major, 
and he might just be done with it. He talked openly about the fact that he despised recruiting. He was tired of recruiting. He was tired of dealing with players, with with the surrounding people around them, with texting kids all day long, back and forth every single day just to keep them engaged. And so maybe he's not interested. Two, there is talk about some staffing things that may be going on. His son uh, is previously a head coach. He left his previous job for personal reasons. There's talk about would he want to bring his son with him. It is not my place to speculate, but these are conversations that are being had. It has been printed, so I don't feel like I'm speaking out of school here, but he might want to bring his son. Is that a deal breaker for Indiana? I don't know. I don't think it should be. I'm just telling you, this is the guy I would go get. You get John Beeline. You're in the NCAA tournament next year, and beyond that, I think he goes just about every single year. You win a lot, you have success, and you hand it off to the next guy around 2025, 2026, 2027, whatever it is, and this program is in a lot better shape. All right, let's transition to the rest of the college basketball coaching carousel, and I promise, after doing 20 minutes on Indiana, I promise I will not be doing 20 minutes on each of these other schools for a couple reasons. One, A few weeks ago, I did a college basketball coaching carousel segment. When everybody else in the college basketball media told you, there's no way all these schools are going to open up, they can't afford the buyouts, I told you. I said, look, this is college athletics. It's 2021. If Auburn football could afford $20 million to, to buy out Gus Malzahn, as I talked about a minute ago, $10 million it ain't that big of a deal, let alone a couple million that all of these schools are, are going to be facing uh, in terms of buying out their coaches. And so because of it, all the jobs that I told you two or three weeks ago that everybody said, I don't know if that guy's going to get fired. Well, they all got fired. Minnesota is open. Richard Pitino is out. Iowa State is open. As I said, DePaul is open. Utah open, which was kind of a surprising one. So we have at the very least now five major conference openings and that is in addition to Boston College and Penn State which have already filled their jobs we may get a couple others depending on how things shake out but I want to just hit on very briefly those four jobs that I just mentioned who I think will get them who I think is in line to get those those jobs and again I'll be brief because I already hit on this about two weeks ago first of all I actually want to start with Iowa State because I think Iowa State's just about done I told you a couple weeks ago that Iowa State was going to fire Steve Prohm. He had been there for six years. He had made two Sweet 16s in his first two years. The problem was he won all those games with Fred Hoiberg's players. And then when Fred Hoiberg's players left, he had three losing seasons in four years, including this year where they went something insane like 2-22 and and didn't win a single Big 12 game. With him out, I can tell you almost definitively by this point, I've already tweeted it, TJ Otzelberger, the UNLV head coach, I believe is in line to get that position. I talked to a couple people in Vegas, and you know I know people in Vegas because I'm there all the time, who are really tied into the UNLV basketball program who basically told me like, look, it's a done deal, he's leaving, he's going to Iowa State. Now many of you are probably wondering, why would Iowa State hire this guy? I've never heard of him. I know nothing about him. Uh, I'm Googling him right now, and he has a 28-29 and 29 overall record at UNLV, uh, although he did make two tournaments at South Dakota State. The reason is very simple. I just mentioned Fred Hoiberg, and Fred Hoiberg obviously has had the most success kind of in the modern era of Iowa State basketball. Well, you know who was his lead right-hand man as far as a recruiter and assistant coach? T.J. Otzelberger. He was Fred Hoiberg's right-hand man, goes to South Dakota State, from South Dakota State goes to UNLV, 
and the Iowa State brass, or at the very least, the boosters, the people that write the checks, have convinced themselves that this is the guy that can get them back to that level towards the top of the Big 12. I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if it's the right move, but I am just telling you the powers that be at Ohio at, at Iowa State, excuse me, want to bring this guy in, and I think it's a done deal. UNLV has already kind of, um, what's the right word? They've basically admitted defeat in this one. They are already looking for a new head coach, although it's not official yet. But I am telling you, TJ Otzelberger, barring something shocking, the UNLV coach will be the next Iowa State head coach. And what will be really interesting, at least to me, is to see what UNLV does from here. Because UNLV doesn't have very much money to spend. Uh, they will get some buyout money from Iowa State to, to hire Otzelberger. But I suspect, I'm recording here obviously on Tuesday night, I suspect by end of day Wednesday, early Thursday, that TJ Otzelberger will be the new head coach at Iowa State. Moving on to Minnesota, where Richard Pitino was fired. By the way, shout out to Richard Pitino. He already got another job taking the head coach at New Mexico, taking the head coaching job at New Mexico. But I want to kind of lump Minnesota and Utah together because I think their candidate pool is actually very similar. So let's start with Minnesota. They are open. They have struggled. They are obviously a Big Ten team. We just talked a ton about the Big Ten with Archie Miller being fired at Indiana. And this is a tough job in a tough league because of the fact that everybody in the Big Ten is good right now. Not only is Illinois on the way up, Ohio State is on the way up, Michigan State is always good, Michigan is really good. Oh, by the way, those teams that used to stink like Rutgers, Rutgers is in the NCAA tournament this year for the first time since the early 90s. Not an easy place to win, not an easy place to have success, but I think they're actually going to have a good candidate pool, and ironically, I think all three of the candidates that will eventually kind of be linked to this job are all from the same conference, and that's the Mountain West. The first one, the guy that they want is Brian Dutcher, the head coach at San Diego State. For people who do not know, Brian Dutcher's dad was the head coach at Minnesota many, many, many years ago, and there is a belief that he will take this job. It's interesting because there is actually, it has been reported over the last couple weeks, he has a pretty big buyout at San Diego State, but his buyout to go to Minnesota would only be $1 million. Essentially, he rewrote his contract so that he could get out of it very easily if the Minnesota job opened up. Now, what I would say is San Diego State's a really good job. They're winning at a really high level. They're a sixth seed in this NCAA tournament. And oh, by the way, the guy's 60 years old. His kids are grown up. They live in the San Diego area. They grew up in the San Diego area. He has been at San Diego State since he was in 2000 when Steve Fisher took that job. I'm sorry. I just can't see a 60-year-old man packing things up in San Diego and saying, honey, we're going to Minneapolis. You might have it the other way around. A lot of people from Minneapolis moving to San Diego. I don't see very many people packing things up in San Diego and going to Minnesota. He will be the first choice. If he says no, I do think there are two legitimate candidates in the Mountain West. The first, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, so I'll try to be brief here, Nico Medved, the head coach at Colorado State. Colorado State, of course, like Louisville, really got screwed in the NCAA tournament process because Colorado State and Louisville were the two teams that when Georgetown and Oregon State won their conference tournaments, Louisville and Colorado State were the two teams that got squeezed out of the NCAA tournament, but they are a really good team. Nico Medved is their head coach. He is from Minnesota. He went to Minnesota. He was a student manager and a graduate assistant at Minnesota, and so I think he would jump at I don't know that he would jump at it, but I would think that that job makes a lot of sense for him. 
The other guy, also from the Mountain West, Utah State's Craig Smith. Just keep an eye on this name because I think he is one of the linchpin guys in this coaching carousel. Craig Smith, for people who do not know, Utah State is now in their third straight NCAA tournament. I talked about them earlier because I do believe that they can upset Texas Tech in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but he gets to Utah State three years ago. Year one, wins the Mountain West tournament. They go to the NCAA tournament. Last year, he actually won the Mountain West tournament, so he is one of the few coaches that can definitively say that he was going to the 2020 NCAA tournament before it was canceled because he actually won the automatic bid. And on top of that, this year they get in as an, as an at-large. So you go to Utah State, a school that had struggled before he got there, go to three NCAA tournaments in three years, he is going to be a very hot commodity, and I think he was Minnesota's top target. Just one problem. On Tuesday night, Utah fired its head coach, Larry Kersoviak, and I believe that obviously the guy I just mentioned, Craig Smith at Utah State, is going to be the top candidate at Utah as well. And so what I would say is it is very good to be the agent of Utah State head coach Craig Smith because one way or another, he's getting paid. He's either getting a big fat extension at Utah State if that's where he wants to stay, he is getting a big fat contract at Minnesota, or he is getting a big fat contract at Utah, but he to me is the candidate there. And then finally, let's wrap on DePaul. I know I said I wouldn't go 20 minutes on DePaul. I don't even think I'm going to go three minutes on DePaul. But they fired Dave Leto. That is not surprising. And as I told you a few weeks ago, um, you know, they have a new AD there. His name is Dwayne Peavy. Many of you probably know the name. For people who are not familiar, he was basically John Calipari's right-hand man for a decade at Kentucky. He takes the job at DePaul. Dave Leto did not have a buyout. And so because of it, Dave Leto is fired. I told you three names a few weeks ago, and they're the same names that I'm hearing still. The first is Porter Mosier, the head coach at Loyola. Loyola, of course, we talked about Sister Jean earlier. Shout out to Sister Jean, who's traveling. Great for the great sign that the pandemic is just about over. Um, he will be a candidate. He's right in Chicago. Two, Kenny Payne, the former Kentucky lead assistant coach, who is now with the New York Knicks. He obviously has a very real tie to Dwayne Peavy from their time at Kentucky together. If Kenny Payne gets the job, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I think it's a very dynamic and fascinating hire. To me, he is the leader in the clubhouse right now, although I think probably Porter Mosier is. I don't know how you can turn down that guy who's already in Chicago. I think there's probably a lot of internal pressure there, but I would say those are the top two candidates. And then I'll give you a third one that I got in a little trouble for mentioning on Twitter the other day. A third one is Bobby Hurley, the head coach at Arizona State. I tweeted it out. I got pushback. I stand by what I said. Bobby Hurley wants out at Arizona State. I'm just telling you, it's a fact. It's indisputable. Um, he has beef with the AD. You can Google it. There was an incident between a booster and Bobby Hurley's wife, and the AD took the booster's side, not Bobby Hurley's side. He was not happy about that, and he is looking to get out. What I just told you is not some top secret information. There's a, if you Google Bobby Hurley AD booster, there are a bunch of articles on ESPN that will tell you exactly what happened. He has not been happy with the AD ever since and has been looking to get out. And I think he is going to try to put himself in the mix at DePaul. Now, I think he's a third candidate at the very best behind Porter Mosier, behind Kenny Payne. But those are the three. 
that I think are going to be in the mix there. And I think that's basically it with the coaching carousel. Look, obviously, as new jobs open up, I will continue to talk about it. Obviously, look, if, if, if say, Iowa State hires UNLV's head coach, then guess what? UNLV's going to have an opening. I'll probably have to talk about that. When Indiana hires their head coach, I'm going to have to talk about who Indiana hired, who gets replaced at the other school, if it is a Chris Beard or somebody like that, Scott Drew. Maybe it is Scott Drew. I'll just say this. Last little thought on Indiana. I didn't even mention it. Pat Forty and Dan Wetzel both wrote articles about Scott Drew going to Indiana. I don't think they put that out there unless they got it from a pretty good source that that's something that could happen. So keep an eye on that. But the point I'm trying to make is enough coaching carousel talk. Uh, as stuff moves on, I will continue to look into it and continue to get into it. But for right now, that is all I have to say about the coaching carousel. And I do want to wrap with something that I wanted to hit on on Monday's episode, which is just the kind of the present future of Kentucky basketball. It was a historically bad year, and I wanted to just do a segment on what went wrong, what needs to happen in the offseason, and why I am still optimistic that John Calipari can figure it out. We are going to get to Kentucky in a second. Before we get to the Kentucky stuff, I do want to say, support for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Yes, fellas, I'm talking about trimming downstairs. Used to be an embarrassing topic. We never talked about it. Wasn't cool. Couldn't make eye contact. Well, guess what? It's 2021, and now you got to do it. You got to keep your lady happy. You got to keep yourself happy. You got to keep things clean, crisp, cool downstairs, courtesy of Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code TORRES at manscaped.com. Trust me, fellas, hit manscaped.com, use promo code TORRES, 20% off, best purchase you'll ever make. You'll keep your lady happy. And oh, by the way, ladies, you're free to use the promo code too. Go there, get yourself a nice little gift, get a gift for your man. It's really a gift for you, but whatever, promo code Torres at Manscaped. So here's the scoop. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. Before Manscaped, I'm just going to keep it real. It was an adventure down there. Nick's cuts. Didn't know if I'd be able to have kids after I used the competitor. But thanks to Manscaped, I feel like a new man. Manscaped has created the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. And I'll be honest, my boys have never looked better. Sorry, too much information. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We'll, we'll move on. In addition, this trimmer also comes with LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. By the way, guys, do me a favor. Don't use the same trimmer on your balls that you use on your face. That is just gross. The Lawnmower 3.0, again, comes inside the new Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut, free, and smelling nice down there. The Manscaped 3.0 Perfect Package, or Perfect Package 3.0, also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of the potty? What kind of man are you? What are you doing? Get some deodorant down there. Speaking of sweaty and stinky balls, I'm thankful for the Crop Reviver. Their product, along with the Crop Preserver, keeps your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. 
Manscaped threw in two free gifts into their perfect package, a pair of high-performance Manscaped boxer, boxer briefs, which you can give to your lady, you can keep for yourself, whatever you want. That'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. And a travel shed bag to store all your grooming goodies. Trim that junk of yours, fellas. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code TORRES at Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TORRES at Manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use the promo code TORRES. Unlock your confidence and as always, use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Gentlemen, ladies, it is the gift that I promise we'll keep on giving. You know what wasn't the gift that kept on giving this year, though? Kentucky basketball. Oh, my God. I, I, I don't know where that came from. That was, that was an incredible what – what a transition that was. But let's – people, get focused. Get your head out of the gutter. Get focused. And I do want to talk Kentucky really quick because I, I think I mentioned it before the, ads, the Manscaped ad read is that I, I, I planned on talking about them sometime this, this kind of – this week – and I was going to do it on Monday, and I'm actually really glad that I didn't. It just felt like a couple things. One, the bracket was out. Even Kentucky fans, even Louisville fans, even people that weren't involved with the NCAA tournament, everybody was focused on the bracket. But this show is kind of that in-between show where Monday I break down the bracket. Thursday I'm going to give you my picks. But today is the show to kind of tie up loose ends. And so we talked a little bit about the tournament. We talked a little bit about the coaching carousel. And I do kind of want to talk about Kentucky's season overall and what has to happen this offseason going into next year to ensure it doesn't happen again. And I'll be honest, like I said, I was actually planning on doing it on Monday's show, and I'm really glad I didn't for a couple reasons. The first, we are actually starting to fairly quickly get clarification on what the Kentucky roster is going to look like in the 2021-2022 season. And on top of that, I will give this man credit. John Calipari had some quotes over the course of this week that were very outspoken, took accountability, admitted that this season did not go as well as he wanted and that he needs to make change. Now, maybe he's saying it because he's feeling a little heat. Maybe he's saying it because he truly believes it. I don't know, but I love these quotes. So let's talk about a little bit. We Look, we all know what went wrong. I don't need to rehash it, but everything that could go wrong for Kentucky did. Um, you know, weird year, short off season, not the right parts. The young guys weren't quite ready. There were injuries. Terrence Clark, maybe some of the guys that you thought were going to be further along weren't. Everything, by the way, Keon Brooks was hurt for half the year. Everything that could go wrong did. But it's time to turn our attention to 2021, 2022. And as I said, I actually thought there was some pretty positive news over the last couple days. First of all, we now know three players that are planning on coming back for next year. The first, Devin Askew, reported by Kentucky Sports Radio's Jack Pilgrim. Credit to Jack on the scoop there. Devin Askew is coming back. And I know that for some Kentucky fans, that doesn't really move the needle. But to me, what I see in Devin Askew is I see a guy that I think can develop into a nice two, three, four-year college player. Yes, he only averaged, what, like six points and three assists this year or something like that. But you know, when you look at a guy that averaged six and a half and three in the SEC against basically a power five only schedule, you know what that says to me? He can be a nice contributor next season. I'm not saying he'll be a star. I'm not saying he'll be, you know, put the program on his back. And I do understand that he has not lived up to the standard of what a Kentucky point guard traditionally is, but we got to stop comparing him to John Wall, to Brandon Knight, to De'Aaron Fox, and just admit that this guy's on a different trajectory. I think getting him back this offseason, getting him a full summer of workouts, strength and conditioning, all that stuff, I think he's going to be a very valuable piece next year. So that's piece number one, great sign for Kentucky. 
Piece number two, we'll get to in a minute. Piece number three, Lance Ware uh, told Adam Zagoria's blog that he will be coming back next year as well. I think that's a great sign. I think the fact that he is a guy that was comfortable playing a role, defense, energy, rebounding, that's a great sign. Now, could something happen? Could something change? I guess. But he said he's not planning on transferring. And so I think that is a great sign for Kentucky because, yes, you need star quality players, but you also need role players. And I thought he played a very important role. I thought he was really tough. And again, like I said a minute ago, give him a second year. Let him get used to the physicality and the toughness of the SEC. Let's see how he handles next year. The third guy that announced he's coming back, Dante Allen. This was the one that mattered, guys. And for people who do not follow Kentucky religiously, Dante Allen only averaged five and a half points per game this year. But first of all, there are guys that have gone from averaging like five points a game to being all SEC players. Happened with Emmanuel quickly. P.J. Washington was good as a freshman and made a major leap. And I'm not saying Dante Allen is those guys. But he is such an important piece for this 2021-2022 season. Because one... He has shown an ability to score in the SEC. He had 23 points in the SEC championship game. And then two, beyond that, and everybody listening knows this, but he's a Kentucky kid. He's a Kentucky kid that wants to be a Wildcat, that grew up wanting to be a Wildcat. And if he did not feel like he had a place in the program, if he did not feel like John Calipari was going to give him a fair shake in 2022 and he left, I think John Calipari would have been under a lot of heat. And so I think when you take those three guys – with the fact that Oscar Shibway, Shibway, however you pronounce his name, is in the program, former West Virginia transfer, uh, 11 points per game as a freshman. I like those pieces. I like those parts. And then you fill them in with the three freshmen that are already committed, and you're starting to see what this team will look like. Now, as far as everybody else is concerned, I think we kind of have an idea of who might be leaving. Um, you know, first of all, I think Olivier Sar is basically gone, right? He came to Kentucky on a one-year plan. He was productive, but it didn't really go as planned. And this is a guy that even though he was disappointing, he will have overseas opportunities. He's from France originally. I think he's gone. Isaiah Jackson has already said, or his dad has said, that he's going to at least test the NBA draft waters. I think he's the only definitive first-round pick from Kentucky. I expect him to be gone. Terrence Clark, I expect him to be gone. I know he was hurt. I know he didn't show what he's totally capable of doing. I know his draft stock slid. But I just think, look, I mean, if he really was injured this year, then you don't come back and risk further injury. And let's be honest, there were some rumors, and I said it on the show, there were some rumors that he wasn't really injured. And if you're not really injured, or if you're taking your time coming back as a freshman, I don't see why you're coming back as a sophomore. Finally, BJ Boston, look, I think he's gone. I know Cal Perry's talked about sophomore BJ Boston, all that stuff. Listen, this kid came kind of like Olivier Saar on the reverse on a one-year plan. I think it'd probably be best for him to actually come back for a second season. I just know how college basketball works. I don't think that is very realistic in just terms of the fact that he came thinking he's a one-and-done. Mentally, I think he prepared himself for being a one-and-done, and I think he plans on leaving. For all I know, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm sure his family has probably been in conversations with, with NBA people, with agents, with whatever, and I just think it's hard when you envision yourself as a one-and-done guy ending up coming back for a second year, and it'll be curious because I do think he needs another year of college. I do think he needs, the, he needs to get physically more mature. I do think he needs a summer in an off-season weight program, and I do think if he goes to pro, I think he could struggle at the G League level, really fall behind the eight ball, 
and really struggle to dig himself out and get to the NBA. I also think if he comes back to college for another year, he could be a legitimate star and end up as a lottery pick down the road. I just don't expect it to happen. So as of right now, we know Askew's coming back. We know Allen's coming back. We know Lance Ware's coming back. I think for sure Sar, Jackson, Clark, and Boston are gone. As for everybody else, there's only a few guys left. One, I would have to assume that Jacob Toppin is coming back. Um, you know, he already had his transfer, so in theory, if he transfers, he wouldn't be able to sit out for a year. I would think he is back. And then I'll be honest, the, the wild card here is Keon Brooks. And I was kind of talking to somebody this week, and what I would say is, I, I'll tell you this, I have no feel for what he is going to do, but it was just such a weird year. He had the injury, he came back, he looked awesome in the first game against Florida, and then it never clicked. And I don't know that I necessarily really blame him. It was a weird year. It was a weird roster. Uh, you know, I think he probably thought he was going to come in and immediately jump into the starting lineup. But Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson were kind of already established. And so for Keon Brooks, I do think he's kind of that guy that I think he could stay. I think he could transfer. I think he could declare for the draft and see what his stock is. I could see a million different things happening. But I bring all this up to very simply say this. With the three guys that we know are coming back, with Oscar Shibway, who is a transfer, so that's four. I would assume Jacob Toppin is five. I like that as a core for 2021-2022. Now, I get it. You have to bring in more pieces. And the great thing about this time of the, the, the history of college basketball is the transfer portal is more valuable than ever before. And what I will say is it is very clear that you need a few things in the transfer portal. I think you're good down low. You have a, a McDonald's All-American and Damian Collins coming in. You have Oscar Shibway down low. You have Lance Ware. You have Jacob Toppin, who's kind of a wing. I don't think you need any more big guys. This is what you need. You need somebody that can make plays off the dribble. Devin Askey's a really good player. He is not that guy. You need someone that can make plays off the dribble. You got to find that guy. Might be in the transfer portal, might not be. I saw Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, reported on Tuesday afternoon that Justin Powell, the transfer from Auburn, who was actually originally from Kentucky, he averaged almost 12 points and five assists as a freshman. He wants to come to Kentucky, but that he is waiting on word if he'll have to sit out. Right now, the SEC has a rule that any time a player transfers in conference, they have to sit out a year. So I think he is waiting on clarification on that. But that is the kind of player that you need. You need a guy that can create for others. Because when you have Dante Allen, when you have, oh, by the way, I didn't even mention Davion Mintz. I think that actually may be John Calipari's most important recruiting pitch this offseason. Forget, I'm not saying forget, like they're terrible people, but Terrence Clark's probably going pro. BJ Boston's probably going pro. Davion Mintz, you might be able to get back. And if I was John Calipari, that would be my number one goal in recruiting. Get back Davion Mintz. For people who didn't watch Kentucky a ton this year, he was a guy who came to Kentucky from Creighton, expected to be a role player. Play off the bench play on the ball, play off the ball, hit a few shots, whatever. He ended up being Kentucky's best player. Tied for the lead in scoring 12.5 points a game, 38% from three, and he was the mentally toughest player on that roster. And I think if you bring him back with Devin Askew, with Lance Ware, with Dante Allen, and you can get some kind of guy that can create off the dribble, that changes everything. Because then you have those shooters in the corners, Davion Mintz, D Dante Allen, Devin Askew. You have the size down low with Oscar Shibway. You have the toughness down low with Shibway and Lance Ware. You have rim protection with Damian Collins. But you got to find that guy in the transfer portal. 
The good thing is in 2021, that guy exists. I used to be a guy that said, you can't get difference makers in the transfer portal. That's changed, man. That's changed. I mean, even look at a place like Louisville. Louisville's point guard this year, Carly Jones, came from Radford. He came from the low major level and was maybe the best player in the ACC this year. That guy is out there. Kentucky has to find him. I also think you got to find another shooter. And that plays into what I said a minute ago with John Calipari's comments. And I give John Calipari credit. This was a disastrous year for him. I get it. He's under a lot of heat. I know he's got a lifetime contract, but there are a lot of people that are not happy with John Calipari right now. And I give him credit. He basically said, look, this didn't go as planned. I'm looking myself in the mirror. And the number one thing, and this was the most important part, he said that even four, five, six years ago, it was all about athleticism. You have better athletes, you're going to win. And he said, now, you have really great athletes. If you can't shoot, you can't play in the NBA. A guy that would have been a top 10 pick five years ago is a second rounder now. And so I bring it up because it appears as though whether he's saying it because he knows it's the right thing or hopefully because it has finally dawned on him with this roster, he's got to get more shooting. He's got to sacrifice a little bit of athleticism for skill. Skill is what matters in basketball in 2021. Look at Baylor. Look at Alabama. Look at Gonzaga. Great skill teams. Look in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, the Houston Rockets before James Harden got traded. It's all about skill, and John Calipari gets that. And I'm telling you, if you can find that one guy that can create off the dribble, if you can bring back Davion Mintz, and you have, again, Oscar Shebway down low to throw some elbows, beat some people up, Damian Collins, the freshman, to block shots, I like this team, and the one thing I will say in closing is this, because it's getting late and i got to get out of here, and I just did my Manscaped ad, and I'm all over the place right now. (laughs) What I would say is very simply what is this, is that I know, I talked about Kentucky a ton on this show this year, and it got exhausting, and it was tiring, and they stunk, and I was sick of it, but I bring it up for this reason. At a certain point, I felt like I was making excuses for them because of the fact that they continued to struggle, they continued to stink. And I kept saying, well, you know, Kentucky, it's, it's, it's the offseason. It's the lack of off time. But that stuff really does matter. Calipari, like all these coaches, they have a time frame and a system with which they like to do things. Get kids in at this time. Get them over the house. Have a few barbecues. Let them get to know each other. Have them play pickup in the gym at all hours of the day. They couldn't do any of that. And I think it hurt Kentucky more than anybody this year. And I'm really excited to see what this team gets with a normal offseason. I also think, by the way, personalities maybe didn't match. Skill sets didn't match. But I think more than anything, if this had been a normal season, I think at the very least Kentucky would have been in the mix for an at-large bid for this NCAA tournament. It sounds crazy. But they went, what they go, 8-9 and nine in the SEC this year? And they struggled in out-of-conference. But give them another six, seven wins in the out-of-conference. They get some confidence. They win some games that they wouldn't have otherwise, and this is a completely different season. So I'm not trying to shill for Calipari and defend him, and he doesn't need defending. He's got a lifetime contract, okay? He gets fired tomorrow. He gets like $50 million, okay? He doesn't need my defense. But what I am saying is I liked what I heard from him, and I truly believe that this guy, give him some time, man. I I would be worried. I would be worried. I'm not saying people should fear him. I'm just saying, I think this team's going to be pretty good next year. I like the fact that the guys that know that they should come back have decided to do so, and I'm very curious to see what the rest of the offseason brings. 
it'll be interesting. All right. Uh, I think that's it. I think I've talked way long enough on this episode of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. But for those of you um, who are still with me, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Uh, make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. And by the way, people, Make sure that you are also signed up for the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge. It is on my Twitter page. It is on my Instagram page. But if you use promo code Torres at BracketFanatics.com, you're automatically entered to win $1,000. And oh, by the way, on top of that, not only you've signed up to win $1,000, the top two prizes are two $250 Buffalo Wild Wings gift cards. So make sure that you sign up for the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge right now. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Thursday with my official NCAA tournament picks, best bets, all that good stuff.